Many of us will have fallen into the trap of completing a homework task for our children, especially when they were younger. Sometimes it's just because it's easier, or we know that every mum and dad in the class is papier macheing a solar system for their science project. Or maybe because they'll never work out a revision timetable on their own. Mostly, though, we help so that they'll get the best mark that they can. But how much help are we actually being? Hello, and welcome to the Study Sessions podcast. I'm Nathan, the founder of The Study Buddy and your host. In this series, I talk to a range of experts, parents and students about how we can get the most out of studying at home. From nutrition to sleep and from stress to mental health, we'll be exploring how best to support our young people. There'll be a new episode out every Friday morning, so subscribe, review and don't be afraid to share with others who you think might benefit from what our experts are saying. Today, I'm joined by Rebecca Glover. Rebecca has around 30 years experience in education and is currently the principal at Surbiton High School, which is a Greater London school that's committed to looking beyond grades to offer breadth of education. Rebecca has also recently talked at a TEDx event on the subject of trampoline parenting. Rebecca, thank you for joining me. Uh, Before we start, I'd just like to ask you about your school days and what you thought of exams and be as honest as a as a principal um, can be about these kinds of things. Yes, um, I I enjoyed my school days. I was very fortunate to uh, go to a boarding school um, in Yorkshire uh, from uh, the age of 11 to 18. So I thoroughly enjoyed my schooling days. Um, I suppose it was slightly different in that my parents were very much hands off uh, my schooling. In fact, so much so that when I took my GCSEs O-levels at the time, when I'd finished my O-levels and went uh, home for the summer, my mum asked me when my exams were actually starting. Um, So they were very much hands off parents and expected the school to do what they should be doing uh, for me as a child and and educating me and taking complete control of my education. Um, So I had one wonderful school days at boarding school, spending lots of time uh, with my friends all day, every day. Um, but I suppose uh, as uh, somebody that wanted to do well, like every child, I had the pressure of exams. I had the pressure of wanting to do well in my exams. But that for me was my own internal pressure as opposed to any external forces putting pressure on me. Mm-hmm. See, my parents were very similar, I think, actually, so that they always wanted me to do well, made sure that I was um, fed and etc. Um, but actually they weren't as, it's not interest, I guess is probably a bit harsh, but in what was happening in that day to day and the education piece, do you think we're, um, we're seeing a complete pendulum swing now where parents seem to be much more active in what's happening? I do. I think uh, parents are so heavily invested in their child's education. Many, not all, uh, but many are so heavily invested in the child's education. Now, it's almost as though the parents are taking the exams alongside the child. Um, And more recently, I I spoke um, at at a TEDx conference about snowplow parenting, about parents ensuring that there were no bumps in the path for their child, no time in a child's life when they were able to fail and learn from that failure and actually smoothing out a path for their child from birth really up to university where everything is organised for them to the extent that they, um, with the support of their parents, uh, are doing their homework, are passing exams and, and 
everything for them is planned and mapped out to the nth degree, as opposed to when we were children, perhaps having hurdles to jump and having failures and learning from those failures. Um, I think there's, there's less failure in a child's life now than there has ever been. Um, and one of the key statistics is that children actually don't fail at anything until they take their driving test because they've never failed at an exam. They've never failed at, at anything at all because as parents, we ensure that they are always successful. And I think long term, that will have some detrimental impacts on the society uh, in the future um, because we're not building up that level of resilience and perseverance um, that our children need to have uh, when they move out into their adult life. And I think today is a really good example, actually. We've we've opened our doors today to uh, children in reception year one and year six. And the general anxiety amongst the parents is far, far greater uh, than the anxiety amongst the children who skipped into school, ready to start their learning and currently sitting behind their desks, having a great time being back in school. And parents are already on the phone asking how well their 11 year old has settled back into school, um, which in our generation, this would never have happened potentially. But um, parents would not phone school to check that their child had settled in, settled in an hour after school had started. Um, and I think communication has become so much greater between schools and home and children um, that that constant communication sometimes can breed anxiety. Um, but they're so well informed uh, and want information so readily um, that sometimes parents aren't prepared to wait until four o'clock to find out what's happened during school. They want to know now. So I know some of my boys and girls at break time will phone home or parents will phone them uh, to see how their day is going. Not that we allow mobile phones in school, uh, but if they if they could, they would. But is that, I mean, is that a bad thing as a parent? Because I remember, and I guess as a generation of parents, we were told that um, building up their confidence, oh, you're so good at this, and the, the first steps and all of this, actually was part of our role to, to boost them, to bolster them, to have the confidence to try anything. Isn't, isn't this um, anxiety from the parents just a sort of a byproduct of wanting to, um, wanting to build this confidence? Yeah, I think it's a fine line uh, between building confidence uh, and ensuring that they do have that level of resilience and perseverance that I spoke about earlier. I think we are in danger of, uh, and myself included as a parent, certainly in, uh, when my children were first born, of always uh, praising the outcome of what they do rather than the effort that goes into it. So saying to a child, you're brilliant at walking, my, my one-year-old is brilliant at walking, or uh, my one-year-old has said his first word, that's amazing, you, you are brilliant, you're so clever, you're so intelligent. And actually what we're doing is praising the outcome rather than praising the effort. What we should be saying to our children is, you put so much effort into writing that piece of English so if I think if, if we were to praise the effort more than the outcome, we would build more resilient children that don't always assume that they're going to be um, a top professor or a, a brilliant artist or get into the Olympic Games. Because by having those expectations of our children, we will only then ensure that later in life they will feel that failure. And it's that real failure then that they can't get up from. Um, so I think there needs to be more around the growth mindset, more about building the resilience um, as opposed to praising the outcome. 
And to be clear, you're not suggesting that five-year-olds up and down the country should be told that they're rubbish at art because that looks nothing like a horse. <laughs> no, I'm not suggesting you ever tell, tell a child that they're rubbish. But what I'm suggesting is if they bring a piece of artwork home, you talk to the child about the artwork. What did you enjoy doing? How long did it take you? Did you find it hard? What, what do you think you could have done to improve it? As opposed to saying, wow, that's amazing. We'll put it on the fridge and at one, one day it'll be in the Tate Modern. I think it's talking to the children so that they are aware that they can improve on something that they bring home and they can get better at something. And it's not always amazing, fantastic. We're very good at hyperboles with our children um, as opposed to really talking to them about how, how long it took them, what was their thought process, what could they have done better? Because actually children learn from feedback uh, and, and that's been proven uh, in many a study that it's the feedback that is the most important thing for a child's learning, not the praise. Um, and one of the things that schools moved towards a number of years ago, instead of giving a child 10 out of 10 or 8 out of 10 or an A star, actually verbally talking to them about that piece of work and explaining what could have been better or trying to elicit from them how they feel it could have been better is far more beneficial to their learning than just giving them a mark. Um, and I think as parents, we need to reflect some of what is going on in school with that um, and talk to them about what went well, what didn't go well, what might be better next time. Because I think that, that feed, giving feedback is an art, isn't it? Right? Uh, certainly something you'd expect to be taught at um, university as part of um, PCGs or um, other teaching qualifications. As parents, well, you're not even taught how to be a parent. It's it, just sort of happens so what are the, the rights and wrong ways of, of giving feedback what are some of the things that you would um, you would suggest yeah I think I think it is uh, about talking to your child um, about work that they've done and talking to them about um, how the process that they've gone through to achieve that piece of work so let's say they they are doing a maths homework um, and you ask to see it at the end of an evening which many parents will ask to see the homework that their children have produced and and asking your child what were you thinking when you did that particular maths equation uh, or what were you thinking when you wrote the introductory paragraph for a piece of English what thought processes did you go through so that the child is actually almost teaching you as the parent um, what they have achieved uh, rather than reading through it and saying that's a great piece of work really talking to them about well, why did you use that um, uh, have you used alliteration in there have you used a simile in there or can you can you tell me how uh, you came about producing that piece of work as opposed to saying it's a good piece of work it's not a good piece of work because none of us are experts in every subject but actually we're all experts or should be experts in actually our children knowing our children um so asking your child how they got to that particular point um is is the best way really of ensuring that you understand how your child is learning but also supporting them with their learning but i know as a parent that's often difficult to do and sometimes when my children are showing me their homework i'll say no that's not right you need to go back and look at it again because uh, that's the easiest thing to do isn't it go away and look at it again but actually if you could just spend a moment saying how did you come up with that answer what was your thought process and then just give them a little bit of direction into possibly what they could be thinking um, and then see what the reaction is some children may well say I've done enough I'm not doing any more I'm happy with that but actually over time children will then learn that if they show you a piece of work uh, or they need support with a piece of work it's not about you giving them the answers or indeed going to google for the answers it's more about exploring the process that they have been through to get to where they are now i think it is it seems like a really good way of avoiding those pleasantries of 
oh, that's lovely, which is sort of seems a bit vacuous, doesn't it? At the end, when <laughs> yeah. you're reading yeah. an introduction to a, some gothic horror thing. And I'm definitely guilty of this as much as, as anyone yeah. else, where my daughter will have been through this work and she may or may not have put in bags of effort. And you come back and it's not, I'm not, I'm not a novelist. And so to hear it and you go, that's nice. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. actually, as you say, it does seem more properly invested actually in the child's education and you talked about being invested early on to actually find out about why they went there because one of the other things that we we hear a lot is that parents don't don't know or don't remember the kinds of teachings that were happening so maths Mm. is obviously a really common one they Mm. don't teach subtraction like I was taught subtraction so getting the child to uh, to teach the parents seems like a really good way of not only reinforcing but but also helping the parents along too. Exactly, exactly. And you're absolutely right. The way in which um, education is these days is very different from the education that we had. And maths is a a perfect example of that. But if your child can teach you how to do it, then you really know that that learning has been embedded in them. Hmm. How does that relate? Because is is this something that that feels like at the start of an education journey? Is this now as a um, a parent of a a 14-year-old myself, do I need to radically change what I'm, uh, how I'm doing things? Or um, is there a danger then that my very wise to the world um, daughter would think quite cynically about what I'm up to and then rebel against it? How do you go about introducing these, um, these sort of concepts and ideas? Yeah, I think it's definitely easy if you start when they're young. Um, and my children will often say to me, oh, no, here she goes again, when actually they just want a quick answer. <laughs> um <laughs> So, yes, they, they absolutely have me sussed. Um, but I, th- I think uh, any any child who uh, wants feedback is wanting honest feedback and feedback that's going to support their learning. So I, I think parents showing any interest in their work is a good thing. And, and we need to be mindful that lots of parents do, but many parents don't as well. Um, but I suppose it, it is just particularly as children are reaching GCSE and A-level years and they're having to analyse and synthesise and evaluate much more than than recalling. Um, I do think that's a really good point at which parents can support their children, uh, particularly with revision uh, and doing pieces of work, because it, it, it is more about the analysis and the evaluation. So that's a great point at which you can come in and say, having read um, Animal Farm, wh- where how would you evaluate the first chapter of Animal Farm? What what do you think the the author was trying to get out of the first chapter? And actually just start off with some small questions or even look through your child's book and see the questions that the member of staff has put in the feedback. Because many teachers now, when they're marking work, as I said previously, don't give grades or numbers, but will put a question that they want the child to consider. So as a parent, you could look through the book and actually start with some of those questions. I saw that the feedback in your English book said this, What's your response to that feedback? Uh, What what have you learned from that? So even if you don't have a starting point yourself, use the exercise book as the starting point uh, and the teacher's feedback as a starting point. Which definitely helps to get over that. I don't know anything about Animal Farm. How on earth can I be involved in, um, in assessing the plot and the themes and the character? But actually, as you say, as a parent, I do know all about my my daughter or my son when he was doing here's a while ago so actually I know when when they're trying to say yeah that's fine I've done enough in the same way that your children will have sussed you um yeah we've certainly sussed ours (laughs) (laughs) 
and you know how your child works best. You absolutely do. And some children need um, constant positive reinforcement. Some need, need less reinforcement. Others require lots of short breaks in their in their learning. Some learn better in the evening than they do in the morning. And, and as a parent, you do know your child best. Uh, but it's finding that point in the day where you know you can really talk to them about something and you'll get the feedback and the response that you're looking for as opposed to leave me alone mum I'm not interested right now um so it's learning those nuances of your own children really and this whole thing is a process isn't it as you say we started off by talking about we as parents praise outcomes and not process but this whole Mm -hmm. learning and supporting is is similarly a process so going through one week to find that something didn't work we'll we'll adapt and we'll change and we'll and we'll keep going because that's that's the inevitability isn't it the one thing we do know is that no matter where we are now we've still got to move forward um to whether it's gcse or a level of exams or end of school year or what have you yeah and i think the current situation where our children are learning remotely from home um uh, really has has allowed parents the opportunity to see more readily how their children do learn or don't learn um and actually support them in that. So it, it, it is a great learning curve for everybody um, because a lot of families send their children to school, as my parents did, and your schooling is your schooling and your home life is your home life. And now the two are very much, uh, the waters are muddied, muddied and there's no real um, boundaries between home and school. So it's a great learning opportunity for everybody to see um, how their parents work, but also how their children work and, and how they get on with the work that is set for them and how as a parent you can support them in that and how much support your child needs because there are some children that are quite happily to, to get on um, and do all the work that is set for them and need no reinforcement or support whereas others need more um, so it's finding that that line really I do think it'll be really interesting at the end of at the end of lockdown and when things eventually return to normal how much um, of a, an active role parents will play so when my daughter was a lot younger and my son was a lot younger I remember doing their learning logs so I mean, they may have been near me, perhaps. They were certainly in the same house and mm-hmm. I would have been creating these amazing, and they were amazing, um, pop-up pirate ships or um, <laughs> word searches or all of these other kinds of things so that they could go in and um, feel good about themselves. Yeah. But actually, if I had to do that now, mine are older, obviously, um, actually, I'm not sure that I would want to, well, I wouldn't spend all day every day doing that because in the place of a teacher, actually, the only one you're really fooling now is yourself as, as a parent. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I wonder whether or not that parents will actually leave much more of that teaching to happen and then the the pupils to to get on with the work themselves. Yeah, I think it's, it's interesting. Um, I know... Uh, some of my all of my teachers currently are doing live lessons um, so the teachers are, are on teams uh, with the children and teaching lessons as though they were in the classroom and I know we've had many parents drop in and listen to the lessons so that they can see what the teaching is like and I think they're learning a lot from that but at, not at this school but at another school I am aware of one parent then phoning up the head teacher of the school and complaining about the style of teaching that the teacher has. Um, so it, it's very much a two-way window. Parents are seeing what happens in the classroom um, and, and children are seeing what happens at home and, and vice versa. Um, so I think it is very much a two-way process. 
I think if you go back, certainly in primary schools, we've had examples in our primary school where we've set the children the task of, of creating a Viking shield and the parents have gone out and spent three weeks buying material and dad's been in the garage making the most amazing Viking shields. Uh, we've had parents building volcano cakes uh, and then asking for some feedback because they've done the building of a volcano cake for geography rather than the child. You're absolutely right. I wonder if after this, parents will be more readily step back and allow the children because the nature of, of where we are many of them are working from home and, and can't spend the time all day listening into lessons and doing the child's work but I wonder whether there will be more trust perhaps that the school for those parents who are real snowplow parents trusting that the school knows what they're doing to get the very best possible outcomes for their child um, it, it will be fascinating to see. Mm. And you mentioned again snowplow parenting, which is something we heard early on um, with uh, Dr. Uh, Dominique Thompson, who talked about them um, preparing the the path for your child rather than the child for the um, for the path. Um, in your TEDx talk, you talk about trampoline parenting. I wonder if you could just explain um, explain the concept. Yeah. So by that we mean. Uh being there to support your child in the same way a trampoline uh, supports a child, but also throwing them up in the air and giving them opportunities to fail in a secure way so that they have those mini failures along the way, um, so that they learn from those failures. Um, and in places like uh, in Asia, it's certainly in the East, um, they have what they call the learning pit so they give children challenges that they know the child isn't going to be able to succeed at. So whether it's a difficult maths question um, or whether it's a bit of team building that they're doing, they'll set them a challenge that they know they're going to have to work really hard to solve if they solve it at all. And then when they haven't solved it, they talk about how they've been in that learning pit and what they've learned from not being able to solve a problem so that they learn the experience of failure, but in a very secure and safe way so that later on in life, they have that resilience and they have learned that actually failing is only a way of, of trampolining and moving forward as opposed to something that's really going to stop you from achieving something. Um, so by trampoline parenting, we mean throwing your child up in the air, allowing them opportunities to fail in a safe, secure environment, but catching them when they do come back down, but also learning from those failures and very much using it as a learning experience um, so that you don't make the same mistakes when you put into a learning pit the next time. Um, and, and in school, we've tried to do that through our curriculum, through our broad curriculum. Um, so putting our um, A team in year eight against our B team in year seven so that they can do a game of hockey, knowing that they're going to really find it hard. Um, but actually then talking to them at the end of the hockey match, well, where could you have moved to? What could you have done? What, what made them a better team than you were on that day? Did you put enough effort into X? Could you have thought about doing Y? So that they're really learning from an experience and not seeing it as a failure, uh, but seeing as something that can help them progress. And how explicit are you about the fact that they, they're going in to tackle something that they're unlikely to be able to succeed at or solve? Yeah, so I think certainly um, when we when we do some of the lessons where we put them into the learning pit, we are very explicit about that you're going to find this quite hard. We're looking to see how you work as a team, how you work as an individual, how you process questions that you are given. So 
we, we, we try and ensure that they don't worry about what the outcome is going to be, but then we are more concerned in the process. And I suppose that goes all the way through to our A-level pupils who then sit Oxbridge. Uh, and you will know, and some of your listen, listeners will know, that when you go for an interview at Oxbridge, they will pose questions to you that don't have any answers because as a world, we don't know the answers yet. And what they're very much looking looking at is how you process that information, how you organise your thoughts, how you can put an arg- argument together without an actual solution, but how balanced can you be? Um, so I suppose uh, the experiences that we put our children through here uh, uh, very much reflect what they do at Oxbridge uh, in that you're not interested in the outcome because there may well not be a, a, a right answer, but we're interested in the process and we're interested in you as an individual being able to rationalise something, being able to think something through, give a balanced argument, see things from different, different people's perspectives um, and not worry too much about getting the answer right. Mm. And as a mindset, as you say, that's, going into a a challenge or a a problem that needs to be tackled with that in mind I'm gonna I'm gonna have a go and see how I can do it is a world apart from um, a fool's errand of playing the A team of the year ahead when you're the B team of year sevens knowing full well you're gonna fail because no one wants to get involved in something and know that they're going to fail because as you've just described that mindset is about actually you you will be learning something you will be growing in one way or another it's just not in a scoreline exactly that exactly that which goes back to the the growth mindset and not looking at the outcome but absolutely fundamentally looking at the process rebecca thank you so much for sharing your insights which are interesting both from the perspective of a parent and a principal We've heard it before, a growth mindset is key to our children's education. It can seem counterintuitive not to focus on the outcome, but instilling a desire to learn comes from making mistakes, learning from those, and then trying again. If we as parents constantly make the path ahead smooth, then when our children come to those first setbacks, they may well be ill-equipped to deal with them. I love the image that Rebecca talked about of a, a trampoline parent of supporting them when they need it, but propelling them into the air so that they can safely experience challenges. After all, we won't always be there. And even when we are, we might not have all the answers. And on that note, I'm certainly going to think more carefully about the feedback I give my children. Getting them to share their processes with me seems so much more suitable to my role as a parent than for me to try to mark their homework, which is something that teachers do exceptionally well. As ever, my thanks to you for listening. I hope that you found this episode as interesting as it was useful. If you have, please don't forget to review and to rate us. Every five stars helps us to reach other people. And of course, you can help there too by sharing with friends who you think will benefit. There's another episode next Friday, so don't forget to subscribe so that you don't miss out.